This is Women Authors of Achievement Podcast, episode 66, with guest Nais Graswald. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Suvorova, and welcome to the show. Nais Graswald is the head of executive and digital communications at the Volkswagen Group. She's also a systemic coach and simply a loving human. Today, we reflect on her family past as we discover the roots of her value system, where she embraces opposing views and continuously questions the status quo. We discuss how she transitioned from her communication work at the German Parliament and the Federal Ministry for Transport and Digital Infrastructure to embracing change in the German industry. We speak about finding life's meaning and how communication can become a brave space for unleashing creativity, change and new era of human-centric businesses. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate it on Spotify, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or simply share it with a friend. Nice. Welcome to the studio. And before we start, for me as a podcaster, it's very good news to have actually the head of digital communications at Volkswagen here because I don't need to run this episode by the comms team because the boss is here with me in the studio. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Thank you, Daria. Thank you. Yeah, okay. So I definitely will promote it on the digital level then. (laughs) Awesome. Before we deep dive into your story and learn about the work you do, I wanted to get to know a little bit your background story. Where do you come from? Also, where does your family story comes from? And there's something we had a small exchange before. And I was wondering, where is your like urge to uh, challenge the status quo? What is your interest to really participate in very, I would say, big topics come from and it's rooted in your family partially. So I think it's good that we get to know a little bit of that side of you. Definitely. Where to start? The, I've born and raised in Lower Bavaria. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a quite conservative part of Germany. Mm-hmm. And I really, really wanted to break out until um, my very young age. Um, at children's days. And so I did. So I'm now in Berlin for 10 years now. Yeah, as you mentioned, a special kind of family story. I'm an only child. And that's for a reason, actually. Um, my dad died very, very um, soon in my life. I was five years old. Yeah, actually, to understand my story, and I'm very honest and transparent about it, he killed himself. And I was wondering, so at a very, very early age, about why are there no reasons to live further on and how bad can a situation be that you don't want to continue. So I was really, really soon in my life questioning the reason why we live. And that is actually quite powerful. Sometimes I even say that there was a present because you get some thoughts about we live and very soon. Yeah, that's one part. But would you say that given the circumstances you would observe your that and find the meaning for life through an optimistic lens yeah definitely because i'm super super thankful for my life Mm -hmm. and several people died in my life and i'm always very happy every day to breathe and always if i if for example if i need some optimistic moments and i'm definitely a super super optimistic person i'm just breathing i'm just closing my eyes can do Mm -hmm. it now (laughs) and breathe And then it's like, yeah, you're fucking alive. That's great. I love that. And 
how do you interact with people who maybe, you know, if there are people who are not finding this meaning or they find demotivated and we're not talking about the extremes because of course if there's like extreme cases people should seek support and proper mental health support but we talk about people who are demotivated they don't love their job they don't find the way that they contribute with their skill set how do you usually what, what's your feedback what's your advice to those people finding your self-worth actually and it's it was for me also not easy but how do you find your self-worth it's like hey go find your self-worth <laughs> It's yeah, tough. definitely. It's super, super tough. But because we're always striving for so big things, sometimes it's it's going to go for the small things. Just take a look on what you're doing great every day. Mm. For example, if you're a great cook, I'm actually not a great cook. <laughs> but if you're one, you can find, for example, some people are always hosting dinners and they don't get the purpose. It, I'm just like, I like food and I like my friends mm. and yeah, that's my life. Yeah, it can be. But actually, you can also be a great, it can be your purpose to have hospitality, to give hospitality to mm. all the people. And then you you find more and more your purpose and then it's easier to be optimistic and, and to find your self-worth because if you know why you're doing something, you really get the worth of what you're doing. And it's not always this don't look for the stars, just take a look at you. And it's I know it's super difficult to look at mm -hmm. at ourselves. But that's it, the first step. I mean, maybe yeah. I, identifying like what's your what what's your strengths, like what you're good at, and then building through that, right? So I think that's always a bit easier than as you said, looking at the big picture and looking at known person and saying, like, you know what, I want to be them when I grow up and then it's just you don't know how to get there. It's just way too far off. Definitely. And it's like this little thing which really makes you happy and not what the people say who you are. Mm -hmm. For example, if you recognize this little glimpse in, in your eye or if you like to smile or if you leave this little butterfly moment, we always say if we are in love with a human, mm -hmm. we have these butterflies. But I actually would say you have the butterflies quite often that's, and not That's so cute. I mean, every humans. time on the way to the studio, I have a little butterfly moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but tell me also then, I know that there was a story of your grandfather. Yeah. Would you mind sharing? Because that's also very interesting. Sometime later during this episode, we're going to talk about politics and we're going to talk about your perspective on the system, right? And how you approach the change and how you approach things in the modern Germany, but you were exploring and kind of trying to understand wh where that comes from. And then you heard about the story of another family member who was previously fighting the system, right? Yeah, quite, quite fighting the system. Yeah, that was my presence in the year of 2022, actually, to hear this story. This was just last year. Yeah, basically. it was last okay. year. And so my, my dad's side, um, I never met them before. I met his sister five years ago for just for coffee. And then we met again for two days in LA in 2022, so in November. And that's uh, where I listened to this story. And I was always very um, critic and very questioning the systems. And I always I never fit in. In the school, it was terrible. I was always asking, why do we do it? Why do we do this? Why do we have the rules and all this stuff? So I was always wondering, why do I have this side? Because nobody in my family I know has a side. Mm -hmm. So you're like the only rebel. 
the only rebel. The only rebel. But and here, here we are finding <laughs> that there is a rebel in the But family. There was a rebel, yeah. <laughs> and um, and it was actually my grandfather and the whole family because they lived in Eastern Germany, and they were um, system uh, critics, like we say. So they criticized the uh, DDR, so the socialistic system there, and he was criticizing them so hardly. Then they um, put him into prison. How? Yeah, I'm just curious because there, there was so much. There was Stasi. There was so many people that were protecting the system. What was his medium of criticizing? Like, did he protest? Did he disagree with certain rules? Like, what? How exactly. did he do it? Exactly. He was speaking up everywhere, as I know. I don't know it in the detail. I know that he was speaking up everywhere and organizing things and that um, takes a lot of courage yeah and the um so also my dad and his sister they were speaking up in school as well and so my aunt so the sister of my my dad she was very good at school so and if you were good at school at the DDR they did not touch you It was like, okay, she's good. We really have to uh, to promote her. And she was a fantastic in sports. So, and if you are fantastic in sports in a socialistic state, as we know, then they promoting you even more. And my dad was not that sporty and not this uh, good in school. And so he was fought by the, um, by, the, by the system too. So I think it's a little bit in my, in my genetics, perhaps. I don't know, because mm -hmm. as we know. So, and then what happened to your then grandfather? He was imprisoned. He was imprisoned. And then actually, as I know, he turned out broken. Mm. Like, I don't know what they have done with him there. I, I don't know. But after prison, he was, um, as I know now, a broken um, human. And he was allowed and the family was allowed to leave to um, Western Germany. Mm -hmm. Because usually you, it, it was the story. So, How did the story made you feel? I mean, that you discovered it not in your teenage time, that it was just, you know, last year that you discovered it. Did you feel even more empowered to do things you're doing now? Did it give you energy or rather you felt reluctant to be the person who is, you know, challenging the status quo in the system? <laughs> it was releasing. It was, uh, it brings me a little peace. Yeah. Okay. But it's still quite powerful. So I'm still super powerful, but it is like this, you know, <sighs> moment. This Now I know the puzzle part, comes or this place. piece comes into place, yeah. That's, yeah, that's that's interesting. But tell me, how did you get actually into politics? Why why did you felt like, you know what, German parliament and is asking for me, I'm the right person to be there? Yeah, actually, I was not in the parliament like um, an active politician. I was working for a politician. And how, how do I start it? Yeah, But I, technically, you were then working in the premises. I was working premises. there. Yeah, I was. No, I was working for, the, for Andreas Scheuer already in the German parliament. So he was a member of the parliament. And I was like his personal refer referent, like writing all the speeches, you know, all the, all the law information stuff and this kind of work and um, it's usually there in the German parliament you always have a politician and one personal referent who is preparing them for all the work there and this is what I did and I studied politics before because I actually like to 
question, the status quo. We are here again. And argue. Ah. <laughs> and in politics, as in, in the study of politics, you learn one interesting thing, and it is to argue always from the different perspective. I always say you have two kinds of people who study politics. You have the ones who only study to be more bold in their own opinion, you know, to have all the arguments. And the other studies, because they are, you really want to learn the turnaround. Okay. So if you're not talking about, um, I don't know, climate change, I will argue against. And if, but if you are talking about, uh, like, all the other stuff, I will also argue against. It's like... It's fun to yeah, have you for a dinner, right? You're like the person who never lets anyone <laughs> just to have peaceful spaghetti with a glass of wine. You're the one like, hey, let's have a debate. Yeah, let's have a debate. That's yeah. fun. I mean, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, because there is no truth, you know. There's diff different perspectives. Yeah. But it's healthy that we have that because if you debate, you, you also regularly reflect on your truths. You get exposed, you, you learn from the other people. It's, it's a healthy exercise. Yeah, and usually you're not the, you are not the most loved person on the table. Especially when someone is eating spaghetti and having a glass <laughs> of wine. But you worked for Andres Shore, and actually, maybe like a disclaimer, that he did listen to, I think, a few episodes of the show, and he you know, shared it or tweeted about it. So I'm actually quite, uh, quite excited that now he's again mentioned on the show, actually. It's funny, perhaps you should invite him. Well, that has to be a different show then, <laughs> right? Women Authors of Achievement is maybe not, right? not, the right, <laughs> not the right place. Then you transitioned uh, from the working for the politician in the German parliament to the Federal Ministry for Transport and Digital Infrastructure. What you have been doing there, Nice. I built the uh, actually the first newsroom of in the in the government. So what, the what first is, what is a newsroom? What's a newsroom? It's just in yeah, it's it's just in cross media yeah department. So everything like press, social media, picture, visual communications, event, everything is happening in there. And why is this special? Because especially if you are talking about modern companies, it's like of course that's the normal business. No, it's not. In all industry, as well in the politics, it's always separated. You have the press department, you have the social media department, you have the event department, and everybody's working in their own silos, and they are not talking to each other. To put, so it's a really, really big change project to put them all in one room, especially in a system where every person is allowed to have their own room. Mm -hmm. So if everybody has his own office, then it's you don't you don't know how it's like you really really have to convince them to go in one big newsroom office. But that's that's so hard to imagine. I mean, the, the, it sounds so much more scalable and efficient where all those people get to work together and create bigger impact and actually work on things, as you said, not in silos. Why would they be so protective? I think they they are often afraid of losing something. Mm -hmm. So you really have to mentioned again and again and again what they will win. Okay. So here, which kind of offices you put together then? The press department, the um, video and photo department, and the social media one. And what was the result of it? It's German now. We, we translated it into Neuigkeitenzimmer. That's the German word for newsroom, actually. And it was a super, super fun and successful AR team. And everybody, I would say it was a growth zone. 
And in this time, I established um, a, a term for me, and I call it Brave Space. Because it's for me, it's not only a cross-media department. Everybody was rising, you know. And everybody was like, whereas people were stepping into social media stuff. The social media people were stepping into event stuff. And it was, and everybody was, yeah, flourishing. That was actually uh, what happened. Um, I mean, that sounds like a teamwork. Yeah, right? it, was was it was great. Yeah. So after that, you were like, you know what? I'm going to try something else. And you decided, which is a very interesting transition, to go from um, political area into German industry, into German corporate. And today you are the head of executive and digital communications at Volkswagen Group, which is known internationally. It's a German multinational automobile manufacturer headquartered in Wolfsburg, Lower Saxony. <laughs> Why would you go from like one extreme where it's relatively hierarchical and there's different processes in place into a corporate which has a big reach, has a huge influence, but it's also not as dynamic. And from what I hear, when you said that you got to build the newsroom, you really love in you know building people together, that there's a yeah. teamwork, that there's engagement, that there's dynamics. But if we speak about corporate, that's everything but dynamics. Yeah, that's un yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, not only you are asking me these questions, all my friends are, my family, everybody's asking again and again, why are you doing this? Uh, because I really, really like, of course, it, they're su super powerful systems. And I'm a super curious person. So you really, really get a vibe what's going on. So working in politics at the federal level, as well as working in Volkswagen Group, yeah, we have 670,000 employees then you really, really get an image what's going on around the world. It's like a little town. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a big town. It's a big town. And so, but of course, they are distributed about the world. But for example, it, you mentioned Wolfsburg in Lower Saxony. Actually, they're working, I think, 40,000 for Volkswagen. So it's it's huge. Um, but to uh, to answer your, your first question, how and why did I do this step? Actually, I got headhunted. Somebody came to me and said, would you be interested to work here? I was like, I never thought about VW. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I really don't know. And then there was a very, very curious and um, ambitious CEO fighting for the climate change. And I was like, okay, if this is the vibe at the sea level in VW, then I... Uh, that means a lot, Yeah, right? then I go there because I really, really want to be a charge of this transformation, a part of this transformation. In my, I'm a little, little wheel, but I'm a little, little wheel and I want to be part of this because the oil industry has to change and they are changing super, super fast, even if it does not look like this. And the electrification is in the full, in the full, full run. And so I wanted to support with my skills. Like, this is super idealistic, I know. But it, it does make sense. I think there's a huge opportunity that you saw because if you see the sea level, like driving for such a big change, that's a perfect environment to be because you don't need to draft papers and reasons and presentations to prove the case. The case is there. You just have to be like, okay, guys, time to execute. Yeah. So it's a pretty exciting environment to be in. So so what did you, what did you work in? And I mean... So you were responsible for CEO communications and, and digital communications. Like, what does it stand for? Like, what results were you driving? 
So what does it mean? It is there are two parts. So we push all the LinkedIn. It's mostly LinkedIn, sometimes more or less also Twitter, but mostly LinkedIn communications. Um, at first for the VW um, group channel, we have over 1.4 million followers, for example. And we pushed the former CEO social media. Herbert Dies, he was social CEO, how he was called. So this was actually, it was crazy. Did you had to man monitor a lot of things? Yeah, we did have to monitor a lot. And it was like, if you, if you, if you put one LinkedIn post and afterwards there were, I don't know how many spill over into the press. It, it was always one post on LinkedIn and all the media on the world was full. And we were like, what the fuck? What's <laughs> going on here? And that was um, a quite adventurous time. It was super funny and. Nowadays, we are called executive. So former, we have been the CEO in digital communication. Today, we are the executive in digital communications because we are doing more orchestrated today. You know, all the board members. So we are doing communications, asset content for several board members, supporting their spokespeople and doing all the digital media stuff. And this is super interesting because we have so many brands. If you are allowed to tell stories about Sweden, China, you know, about Bentley as well as Porsche or Skoda and talking all about this battery uh, business and autonomous driving, it's such a bunch of topics. Yeah, it's super exciting. For a communicator, it's exciting. Okay. And why do you think, where's the communication, corporate communication standing today? especially when we talk about German industry. Why is it so important? What is the potential that you're still seeing in it? We really have to tell the stories because there's a lack of, of trust that we can make it. You know, there, I think there are a lot of people who really think the old industry will not make it, who say they will not make the change. Why should they change? Because they can still sell the cars, but there are politics, you know, we need... Um, what kind of change are we talking about? We have to change and in the technology, of course, because we have to um, be electric and we have to get better and better and better in software. And because there are, for example, the Chinese markets who definitely need different stuff than we today. Mm -hmm. And then we have to change in the workplace, in the culture. It was always clear that we need to be more human oriented, that we have to be more open, more flexible, more agile. But I, I think like everywhere, but in the old industry, it was much more big step COVID. COVID now it's like everybody is at home. So there's, there's a big change too. So we have to change. Actually, we have to change on the one side, the technology part, and we have to change our kind of uh, work environment. Okay. And what... What would you say also when you speak about the work environment and work culture? Work culture? You did mention uh, when we spoke before that the workplace culture has to undergo a change. And I was curious, like, what do you mean by that? What, what is there missing these days? For me, it's the human is still missing that there are. Um, and I think it's kind of, I only worked in Germany. And as I see in Germany, it's like you're always focusing on the things people don't can. Not on the skills. We're always focusing on the, on the different parts and on the bad parts and trying to 
to make them better. But I always say, please focus on the skills and please respect the needs of the humans. And that's actually, it's, it's quite funny because I think a lot of people who are listening to this podcast are working in super fancy startups. They never experienced that, for example, going to a yoga class at your lunchtime is something disruptive. But it, it, it is disruptive. But at the same time, there's such a, you know, I know a couple of corporates in Germany and they are fighting hard for the talent these days. And in order to get talent, they're introducing so many benefits and they're competing yeah. on the same level as uh, the tech companies. And they are. And actually, this is, for example, something companies like for VW are super, super social. Yeah, it's not it's not about this. What are you doing? You You earn a lot of money, of course. It's you have all the benefits like you can do sabbaticals, you have a lot of holidays, you your parental leave is there. It's and it's it's super interesting because we are closing every summer for four weeks, the whole company. And that's super interesting because for us it's totally normal. And I was talking to some startups and people on our dinner in Berlin, and I was like talking about, yeah, yeah, we have free, we have free time at the moment. There's nobody at the company, nobody in August, mm. nobody. And they were like, really? And I was, like, yeah. And they said, it's perfect. That's perfect because you never, you're not afraid of missing something. And I was like, okay, that's true. That's a completely new perspective. So. It does sound humane and... Yeah, actually, there are parts. Okay. There are parts who are super social, yeah. Okay, but how do you, I mean, as a really comms person, how you embrace change? What do you specifically take into under your wing and say, like, I'm going to make this different? I really try to, to lead not hierarchic, to really empower them. And my goal is that at the end, they are better than me. You know, this is what like, I try, and that's a change that's different in the system. So I really try to highlight their skills, to really coach them, to ask questions instead of saying what they have to do. And by them, we're talking about? To about the team, yeah. So, and I really try to be, yeah, it, a role model is a huge word. I really don't like to call me a role model, but I just like to show that things are possible who usually people say they are not. And you can talk a lot about change and you can talk a lot, a lot about do it different, but just at the first I have to do it different. It's, and it's also about the execution. And most yeah. of the time it's like there's a saying, you know, the eyes are scared and the hands are doing, you know, yeah. just at some point you just have to trust the the flow of it. And you mentioned a couple of times on our talk here, the system. And I was curious to know, like, what do you mean by the system and why you inspired maybe, as we said, by your, your family trait to question debate and, and ask for change. But if we could specify what is the system and what is this change to the system that you're seeing? At first, um, what's the system? It's a kind of environment where um, rules are written, which definitely do not fit any in the time anymore, who definitely had their rights or their truths some years or ago. Decades. Decades more or much. decades. <laughs> <laughs> Century back. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, centuries or decades. Yeah, so... 
they are not false, but they don't fit anymore. And why I call it the system is because it's so strong. You know, it's not like they are not Can you give an rules. example? Yeah, it's interesting because if you are in the system, you're always talking about I'm part of the system and the other part is the freedom, you know? It's a good question. It's like an entrance, you know, into a world where you usually don't go anymore. So, for example, if you are part of a, of a ministry, you try to stay there forever. And if you are like in such a big, big, big corporate, the most people want to stay there forever. That's the goal. And so it's like two worlds. It's the system and then there is the outer world. That's partially the problem is the people that go there, they don't go there to change it, but they go there to be there for the rest of their life. They make it their life mission without fostering the change. Do I understand this correctly? Yeah, there are people who actually try to change always. And that's the paradox at it. it because if there is a frame and like such a big company is a great frame, then you can be free in the system because I always believe that if there are rules and there is a frame, you can always be quite free, but only free in these rules. And you need rules to be free. I'm really convinced of that. But you are always, there are rules. Everybody is saying you can't break them. It's like you are promoted after two years, for example, and that's the turnus. And it's not like, okay, you did great work. Now we promote you. It's like you have to wait for two years or you have to do, for example, this 10 workshops and then you could promote it. You know, there are so many, or for example, if you are on this track and you studied this, then you are on this track. It's nothing like, okay, tomorrow I want to do this. Right. But in certain places, there is good to have those systems. I think if we look at humanitarian work or we look at doctors, lawyers, and the systems behind it, there is a reason that there is such a profound system, educational system in place to ensure a high level of output and high level of integrity and ethical standards. Definitely. And that's why I, there are people who actually, Darius, it's always like, they want to delete the system. You know, they want to say, I'm anti the system. Anarchist. Yeah, anarchist, for example. Right. Or they are like, um, you can't change the system. The change the system has to go to an end, and then you can build up something new. And that's actually the thing I don't believe, because you don't believe in revolution, basically, because revolution is wiping everything off and yeah. starting from scratch, which is quite painful. But yeah, and it's painful for a lot of people. And I don't know if you're losing time building be things up because with any kind of like this elimination, you basically. You lose talent, you lose time, you lose great people that could embrace change. So you start from scratch and that means you lose valuable time. Yeah, ultimately. and you, you actually say that the human who is living a life, a quite similar way, for example, like always all the years, all the decades, actually you say the, the person can't change. Well, it's definitely not true because we are all every second in change. And you say that you definitely know it better. And I really don't think that we are better if there are, for example, 40 or 50 or 60 percent, even 70 percent who say this the better way. I really believe that we can shift people to find their way to the better. In the end, I really believe that we all want to do something 
which makes the yeah the future a better place if we just get the the opportunity to find our way and now we are at the point at the start of the podcast if we just find our talent or our impact i would say i just want to show you your impact you can have and then i really think if we can manage this we can change the systems and we don't have to experience such a traumatized thing like starting from scratch again i like that idea i mean i will not debate you here, although you would probably <laughs> want that. But I, I also like the idea of building on the existing knowledge and shifting the change smoothly and having conversations, having mediation between different parties and finding the best outcome, right? Yeah. But for that, you also need the people on the other side to be open-minded. And that's the hardest part is to change that shift because there are people who are maybe old fashioned or they believe in system, but they're open to change. They're open. They sit down and they're like, educate me, tell me what should I take from here? And this is very easy to work with this type of people and, and build things on existing foundation. But when you interact with people who are, even if we talk about mental health, like if people are saying like, no, I don't want this or no, I don't need help or no, I don't yeah. want this is. This is very hard to convince because they have to start believing themselves and have to open themselves in order to start the, the first conversation even. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Tell me, if we are a little bit like, have a bit of an outlook into the future, what kind of change would you anticipate in the German economy or you would want to anticipate? I would really like that, that they trust more into the in the outer world, that it's not like them and us, so that we can go hand in hand, you know, and that's not like these progressive people, they, that they really start to listen because they are so super, super successful. The German industry is so super successful and for a reason, definitely. And I really want them to stay. And I think they are, they are so huge employee, employers and it's not only Germany, it's like, it's Europe and we really have to take, yeah, we have to become faster and we have to become bolder and we have the, the, the world is, yeah, we have China, we have the US, now we have actually a war in Ukraine and we really, really have to be there and be, to be proud to be Europe and mm. to go hand in hand and we can honor the heritage we have. Which Definitely. is unique. Which, which is, is unique. unique. It's it's something which a lot uh, look up to and they say, wow, there's such a heritage and diversity of heritage that you can amplify. Yeah, and we can learn. This is a wisdom, actually. If you are striving for the future and for the better future and for a new future, because it's always new. Future is always new. It's not a no to your past and it's not a no to your heritage and nobody who is saying um, about the industry that they have to change says your heritage is nothing worth anymore. It can be both. Completely yeah. agree. It's just putting life into motion and yeah. not, not being stagnant. Uh, but as they said, the only constant is change. Embracing that, taking that baggage of knowledge and heritage and skill sets and putting it to a new motion. And I think there's so much potential into that. So cheers to that. I mean, this is something you hope. And I think my also perspective is basically with the podcast, when you said like, how can you make an impact? It's like starting a podcast and hearing those stories and hearing how people create impact. 
on smaller or bigger scale and support one another and and learn how to build things, how to create brick by brick a certain castle, a certain foundation that is new and that can help next generations. But we can also do that from sharing those stories and exposing those stories potentially. What is you looking forward to the most for yourself this year? I definitely want to go this step to more leadership communications management, you know, because I'm always talking so much about what leadership means. What do you mean by leadership communications? That's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing. But the most of my time I'm telling stories about as in about economics, so about our, t our topics, how we change, about... And it's super interesting to, to talk about how mobility in future would look like or why we are doing this and talking about, I would say, topics um, our stakeholders are interested in, which is completely right. But I also only have 24 hours a day. <laughs> and what I mean with leadership communications is really getting into this part of what does it mean to be a role model if you are on a C-level and how to communicate better because the people are used to information nowadays because of social media, all the access to podcasts like yours. And they also want to get know what their bosses are doing. Mm. What would you your be like three tips or three things you would do when it comes to leadership communications? First, be honest. That does not mean that you have to say everything. But if you talk, be honest. Transparency can be dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but be honest if you talk. So that's the first. Then collaborate always in everything you do because you're not, you're never the smartest person in the room. If you are the smartest person, if you think, then think about it again because I don't believe that you are. Teamwork is a teamwork. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's always, I'm a huge fan of this, you know, five different kind of intelligences. And I, I would always bet on you that there is somebody who is in, more intelligent in another kind of, you know, you can be cognitive or in, emotional or sportive. And you, you can never be the most intelligent person in the room. So collaborate. It's the second. And the third, stay curious. So really, really ac listen actively. That's three nice ones. I think not just leadership. I think it's just on a human level. Yeah, we all have but this embrace. is, we are all leaders. That's the point. And that's also what I try to convey. Yeah. We're all authors of our own achievements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that. So it's time for my very last question. Nice. The one that keeps everyone puzzled and worried. But the one I really like to ask, it's about role models, but it's also about your woman author of achievement. And who comes to your mind? It's Pippi Langstrumpf. I love it. Fictional character. <laughs> <laughs> They're the best ones. The best ones. I think yeah. it's the first fictional character. I might be wrong. Someone might listen to all 65 episodes and say like, Daria, there was a fictional character before I caught you. But so far, I think it's the first one. Very creative. Yeah. Thank you. I, lo I love her. Why, why her? Actually, because she doesn't accept the rules at all. She makes the world like she likes to. And... She does not believe that there is one reality. So there are really, really several things I really, really like about Do her. Do you see yourself in her? I can't ride a horse. She can ride a horse. 
but perhaps in all the other parts a little bit yeah and i like that uh what i like too is that she you see me now the listeners can't see me but okay i'm i look quite female but i also like that in all her attitude she's she, like she behaves like she moves like she laughs she's a punk she's a punk she's genderless actually she's a she yeah and she's long hair because it's from the 80s and 90s but but more or less she's genderless like this too and yeah and like she's dancing through their hair life ageless genderless always wondering about rules doing what she wants yeah real it's a punk spirit a punk spirit yeah today we have thank you for sharing i mean i like that attitude there's something playful something really uplifting as you said she's dancing for her life and i feel i'm gonna dance out of the studio <laughs> after our conversation nice thank you so much for joining me for this conversation and i think we've covered so much today and thank you for being i mean when you said honesty You were extremely honest and especially sharing your family story and where your interest and your curiosity for challenging the status quo and embracing kind of those opposing views come from and how that has been your trajectory through your life and that consistent way of living, which is quite powerful. I, I wish you strength, right, to go with this positive attitude and to foster the change you want to change. And I hope you have the right people also supporting you throughout your life. And thank you once again for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon. <laughs>